My brothers and sisters, how great it is to be with you in another general conference. I've been assigned the responsibility of talking to you about the role of the Stake Bishops Council and its chairman. This council exists for a vital purpose, but I'm not sure all of us recognize the significance and power to help build and facilitate the work in the kingdom. To put the Stake Bishops Council in perspective, may I briefly review those stake meetings in which welfare matters should be properly treated. First and perhaps foremost is the Stake Welfare Services Committee meeting, usually held just after the Stake Executive Committee meeting. The primary focus of this meeting is planning, training of stake high councils, training of Relief Society leaders, who in turn train the ward level, and the overall program coordination. Second is the bishop's training session, where specific elements of bishopric-related programs are taught. Periodically, welfare services, principles, duties, and activities are treated. Third is the stake bishop's council meeting which focuses primarily on operational matters. More than anything else, it is a business meeting in which we implement welfare, the implementation of welfare services is reported on, analyzed, and action decisions taken to ensure that welfare principles are applied for the benefit of the members of the church as the Lord intended. Let us look cl closely at this council. As you know, the council is made up of all the bishops in the state. One bishop is appointed as its chairman by the state presidency. Normally, the chairman pre prepares the agenda, conducts the council meeting under the direction of the state presidency, which is given to him through, the, through a personal priesthood interview. He also represents all the ward bishops at the state welfare services committee. While no specific meeting frequency is set forth, this council should probably, probably meet no less than quarterly, and as circumstances di dictate, may well meet monthly. The first responsibility of the Stake Bishops Council is to make certain that the Lord's storehouse functions properly. Through the, through the chairman, members of the council should regularly evaluate and report on management and the operation of the storehouse. Regardless of whether the bishop is served by a stake, a region, or an area storehouse, he has a voice in storehouse matters through this council. Through stake and region bishops' councils, bishops may make specific recommendations for improvement. They should be certain the storehouse is adequately stocked that quality standards are observed, that financial matters are properly handled, and that the storehouse is clean and orderly. Periodically, it would be well for the chairman to arrange to take the bishops on a visit to the storehouse in order that they would become familiar with its functioning and to ensure that it is always treated and operated as a temporal temple. Most important, the stake bishops council is encourage, encourages uniformity of distribution practices 
by the bishops to those in need of assistance throughout the state. All this implies, of course, that bishops have a stewardship regarding the storehouse. When Harold B. Lee was president of the Pioneer Stake in the days of the Depression, he organized a welfare committee, and they built a storehouse. After completion, they dedicated the building. In this special meeting, President Lee gave the keys of the storehouse to the bishops, and in substance said, Brethren, here are the keys to the Lord's storehouse. You now have stewardship regarding the storehouse. We have done the work in getting it established. It is now your stewardship to watch and to see that it provides quality commodities in a timely and proper fashion to care for the poor and the needy." End of quote. The storehouse is the Lord's storehouse. It serves the bishops in their role of caring for those in need. That is the concept of the storehouse. Each storehouse is a sacred temporal facility essential to the bishop's efforts to care for those in need. While many of you do not have access to storehouses, it is the doctrine of the Church that each bishop have a physical storehouse available from which he may draw goods. Working through proper priesthood channels and with welfare, the Welfare Services Department, you may receive assistance and direction to establish a storehouse in your area. The second responsibility of the Bishop's Council is to develop an annual commodity production budget and to provide the needed commodities according to the plan. The State Bishop's Council provides input regarding the commodity, commodities they anticipate will be the needs in their wards. Bishops then encourage ward members to serve on projects and work-related assignments. Work requests come through the bishopric. They are discussed and assigned in the, war, in the Ward Welfare Services Committee meeting. Quorum organized quorum members and their families to provide labor on these projects. Thereby, commodities are produced to care for those in need. The third responsibility of the Stake Bishops Council is to advise and counsel with the Stake Presidency in the acquisition and management of production projects. The bishops are responsible to make their opinions known about the right kind of projects and the quality of the products, whether they are ward, stake, or region projects. Regarding production projects, members of the Bishops' Council should give their input to the following questions. Are the, what are the estimated financial and time commitments required of ward members? Second, will the project be accessible to the members? And third, will the size and type of the project be suitable for ward members? The Stake Welfare Services Committee has primary responsibility for seeing that production projects are established according to an area master plan. But the Bishop's Council should feel an obligation to provide valuable insight as to the relationship between the storehouse and the various production projects. Fourth responsibility of the Bishop's Council is to review fast offering donations and expenditures. President Kimball has encouraged us 
to give generously in our fast offerings. The chairman of the council and the stake presidency should review all principles relating both to the payment and the use of these sacred funds. This meeting is an ideal time to ensure that this program is being properly administered. The bishops have a responsibility to see that collection of funds are properly used and that the items from the storehouse and the desert industries are always used before cash is spent outside the Lord's system. Fifth and most important is the responsibility of seeing that members work to the extent of their ability for any church assistance they receive. Fundamental to the gospel of Jesus Christ is the philosophy that men should earn their daily bread by the sweat of their brow. The council chairman should encourage discussions of good examples of how this part of the Lord's assistance plan can function in his own way. The sixth responsibility of the bishops' council is to provide training for the bishops in specific welfare matters. This may include on how to fill out a bishop's order form, how to analyze the needs of members, how to evaluate family resources, and to know the extent to which church assistance should be provided, how to utilize the Ward Relief Society to help needy members, and when and how to use fast offerings. Where applicable, the bishop should also receive detailed instruction regarding employment systems, bishop storehouse systems, production and processing projects, welfare services missionaries, health resources, LDS social services, and desert in industries, so they will know how to make appropriate use of these resources to those in need. Stake presidents have the, duty, have the obligation and duty to teach the principles of welfare services and to encourage bishops to carry the same message to their members. Love and service, work and self-reliance, stewardship and consecration, the provident living that com comes from personal and family preparedness, caring for the poor and the needy. These are principles members must learn and practice if they would live celestial lives in a celestial world. These same teachings must come down through quorum leaders as well. The State Bishops Council then provides a tremendous forum whereby bishops may discuss and obtain counsel regarding stake and region welfare operations and problems. At this meeting, the Bishops' Council Chairman should inform, instruct, and inspire bishops in welfare matters. With these six principles in mind, it is easy for a stake Bishops' Council, under the direction of a stake president, to design a meaningful agenda for each stake bishops' council meeting. In summary, then, these six responsibilities are, first, ensure that the Lord's warehouse, uh, storehouse functions properly. Second, develop an annual commodity production budget to provide needy commodities for the poor and the needy. Third, advise and counsel with the stake presidencies about the acquisition and management of production projects. Fourth, receive instruction from the stake presidency and develop ways to teach ward members the law of the fast 
and ensure the proper administration of these consecrated offerings. Fifth, plan to see that members work to the extent of their ability for the church assistance they receive. And sixth, provide training for bishops in welfare services principles and programs. I will always be grateful that I had the opportunity of growing up with the welfare plan. My father was the bishop at the time of its beginning. He had a most remarkable way of involving his family in his church assignments. At an early impressionable age, I was taught the blessing of church service. I will always remember the dignity and patience he exhibited towards those in need. I particularly remember a little old man who had lost his wife and some of the soundness of his mind. My father not only fulfilled the role of his bishop, but also that of his friend. To the family, however, this little old man was considered to be somewhat of a pest. When he would become lonely, he would always strike out to see my father. It didn't matter whether it was 10 o'clock at night or 5.30 in the morning, but my father would always welcome him into our home, give him some nourishment, then drive him back to his place of residence. I remember at the time of his passing of my father reading a letter addressed to my friend Bishop Perry as a final thank you for the interest my father had taken in the life of this man when he was old. I saw the tears roll down the face of my father's cheeks as he read the letter. It was then I think I recognized for the first time an understanding of the rewards of gospel service. To all the bishops there are in all the world, I ask the Lord's choicest blessings to guide and attend you. May these special moments of sweet reward for services rendered in our Father in Heaven's kingdom sustain and support you in your great and noble callings. I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My beloved brothers and sisters, I ask you to join with me in a prayer that the Lord will be with us, inspire us, while I speak to you. I've been greatly impressed with the talks given here this morning, and I hope my remarks will be in harmony with them. I hope that every one of you bishops and branch presidents have a clear understanding of the many resources available to assist us in administering the Church Welfare Services. I urge you to actively use these many resources. I hope we all understand how that consecrations to the Lord, whether in time, work, or money, unite to relieve suffering while sanctifying both the giver and the receiver. I have been pleased with the explanations of the role of the Lord's storehouse and his and how production projects served to fill it with both meat and money. 
Since we have so far in this meeting concentrated on how to we minister in the Lord's own way, I shall center my remarks on why, why we are engaged in this great program. Almost from the beginning of my services in church welfare, I have had the conviction that what we are really doing in this welfare work is preliminary to the establishment of the law of consecration and stewardship as required under the United Order. If we could always remember this goal toward which we are working, we would never lose our bearings in this great work. What we are about is not new. It is as old as the gospel itself. When, whenever the Lord has had a people who would accept and live the gospel, he has established the United Order. He established it among the people of Enoch, of whom the record says, The Lord blessed the land, and they were blessed upon the mountains, and upon the high places, and did flourish. And the Lord called his people Zion, because they are of one heart and one mind, and dwelt in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. If we will do the things the Lord has asked us to do, we too will continue to be blessed, and we'll dwell in righteousness. In the revelation which the prophet called or said specified as embracing the law of the church, the Lord said, Behold, thou wilt remember the poor and consecrate all thy properties to their support, which thou hast to impart unto them. And inasmuch as ye impart of your substance unto the poor, ye shall do it unto me and they shall be laid before the bishop of my church and his counselors. And it shall come to pass that after they are laid before the bishop of my church, it shall be kept to administer to those who have not from time to time that every man who has need may be amply supplied and receive according to his needs. Therefore, the residue shall be kept in my storehouse to administer to the poor and the needy. This I do, said the Lord, for the salvation of my people. In this revelation, which the prophet designated the law of the church, the Lord revealed the essentials of the United Order, his, which was his program for eliminating the inequalities among men. It is based upon the underlying concept that the earth and all things therein belong to the Lord, and that men hold earthly possessions as stewards accountable to the Lord. 
I, the Lord, he said, stretched out the heavens and built the earth, and all things therein are mine. And it's my purpose to provide for my saints, for all things are mine, but it must needs be done in mine own way. In his way, there are two cardinal principles, one consecration and the other stewardship. To enter the United Order, the one consecrated all of his possessions to the Church by a covenant and a deed which could not be broken. That is, he completely divested himself of all his property by, con property by conveying it to the Church. Having done so, the consecrator received from the Church a stewardship by a like conveyance. This stewardship could be more or less than the original consecration, the object being to make every man equal according to his family, according to his circumstances, and his wants and his needs. This procedure preserved in every man the right of private ownership and management of his property. Indeed, the fundamental principle of the system was a private ownership of property. Each, was, each man owned his portion or inheritance or stewardship with an absolute title, which at his option he could alienate, keep, and operate, or otherwise treat as his own. The Church did not own all of the property and life under the United Order was not and will never be a communal life, as the Prophet himself said. The intent was, however, for him to so operate his property as to produce a living for himself and his dependents. So long as he remained in the Order, he consecrated to the Church the surplus he produced above the needs and wants of his own family. This surplus went into a storehouse from which stewardships were given to others and from which the needs of the poor were supplied. These divine principles are very simple and easily understood. However, there are a number of concepts which must prevail in order for this ideal to be realized. Chief among these concepts are the following. One, a belief in God and acceptance of him as Lord of the earth and author of the United Order. Through it we seek righteousness and spiritual development. For, declared the Lord, if ye are not equal in earthly things, ye cannot be equal in obtaining heavenly things. If you will, continues, if you will that I give unto you a place in the celestial world, you must prepare yourselves by doing the things which I have commanded you and required of you, that you may come up unto the 
crown prepared for you and be made rulers over many kingdoms, saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Zion. Second concept, the United Order is implemented by a voluntarily free will action of men, evidenced by consecration of all their property to the Church of God. No force of any kind is ever involved. Three, as to property. In harmony with Church belief, as set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants, no government can exist in peace except such laws are framed and held inviolate as will secure to each individual the free exercise of conscience and the right and control of property. The United Order is operated upon the principle of private ownership and individual management. Thus, in both ownership and management of the property, the United Order pre preserved to men their God-given agency. In this way, he holds each stewardship accountable for his own work and productivity. Indeed, he said, For it is expedient that I, the Lord, should make every man accountable as a steward over earthly blessings which I have made and prepared for my creatures. You can see from this the truth of President Clark's statement when he said, The Church never was, and under existing commandments never will be, a communal society under the direction thus far given by the Lord. The United Order is not com communal nor communistic. It was completely and intensely individualistic with a consecration of unneeded surplus for the support of the Church and the poor. Fourth concept, United Order is non-political. It is therefore totally unlike the various forms of socialism which are political, both in theory and in practice. They are thus exposed to and riddled by the corruption which plagues and finally destroys all political governments which undertake to abridge man's agency. Five, a righteous people is a prerequisite to the United Order. A right, uh, six, the United Order exalts the poor and humbles the rich. In the process, both are sanctified. The poor, released from the bondage and humiliating limitations of poverty, are enabled as free men to rise to their full potential, both temporally and spiritually. The rich, by consecration and by imparting of their surplus of 
surplus for the benefit of the poor, not by restraint, but willingly as an act of free will, evidence that charity for their fellow men characterized by Mormon as the pure love of Christ. In this way, they qualify to become the sons of God. With these concepts in mind, we are better prepared to understand how our present welfare services efforts relate to the united order and the full ideal of Zion, which the Lord has in mind to bring about. Because the people were not then fully ready to live the united order, the Lord suspended it because, as he said, they have not learned to be obedient to the things which I required at their hands and are full of all manner of evil and do not impart of their substance as become a saints to the poor and the afflicted among them and are not united according to the union required by the law of the celestial kingdom. And Zion cannot be built up unless it is by the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. Otherwise, I cannot receive her unto myself. He further indicated that, and I quote, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion, that they themselves may be prepared, and that my people may be taught more perfectly, and have experience, and know more perfectly concerning their duty and the things which I require at their hands. Full implementation of the United Order must, according to that revelation, the 105th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, await the redemption of Zion. In the meantime, while we are being more perfectly taught and are gaining experience, we should be strictly living the principles of the United Order insofar as they are embodied in present Church requirements such as tithing, fast offerings, welfare projects, storehouses, and other principles and practices. Through these programs, we should, as individuals, implement in our own lives the bases of the United Order. The law of tithing, for example, gives us a great opportunity to implement the principle of consecration and stewardships. When it was instituted, four years after the United Order experience was suspended, the Lord required the people to put all their surplus property into the hands of the bishop. Thereafter, they were to pay one-tenth of their interest annually. This law, still in the force implements, to a degree at least, the United Order principle of stewardship. It leaves in the hands of each person the ownership and management of the property from which he produces the needs of himself and his family. To use again the words of President Clark, 
in lieu of residues and surpluses which were accumulated and built up under the United Order, we today have our fast offerings, our welfare donations, and our tithing, all of which may be devoted to the care of the poor as well as the carrying on of the activities and business of the Church. Furthermore, we had under the United Order a bishop's storehouse in which were collected the materials from which to supply the needs and the wants of the poor. Now, we have a bishop's storehouse under the welfare plan used for the same purpose. We have now under the welfare plan all over the church projects formed or managed for the benefit of the poor. Thus, in many of the great essentials, we have in the welfare plan the broad essentials of the United Order. That's the end of that particular quotation from President Clark. It is thus apparent that when the principles of tithing and the fast are properly observed and the welfare plan gets fully developed and wholly into operation, we shall not be so very far from carrying out the great fundamentals of the United Order. The only limitations on you and me is within ourselves. And now in line with these remarks, for three things I pray. One, that the Lord will quicken our understanding of the covenant of consecration which we which we who are endowed have all made. President Kimball, in a landmark article published in the June 1976 ensign, has encouraged us to review what our righteous needs and desires are as compared to what our surplus of residue might be. And then I quote, many people spend most of their time working in the service of a self-image that includes sufficient money, stocks, bonds, investments, portfolios, property, and credit cards, furnishings, automobiles, and the like to guarantee their security through, it is hoped, a long and happy life. Forgotten is the fact that our assignment is to use these resources in our families and quorums to build up the kingdom of God, to further the missionary effort and the genealogical and temple work, to raise our children up as fruitful servants unto the Lord, to bless others in every way, that we may also be fruitful instead of expend these blessings on our own desires, and, as Moroni said, ye adorn yourselves with that which hath no lie, and yet suffer the hungry, and the needy, and the naked, and the sick, and the afflicted to pass by you, and notice them not. As the Lord himself said in our day, they seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way, and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world, 
and whose substance is that of an idol, which waxeth old and shall perish in Babylon, even Babylon the great, which shall fall. What we, that we will study the talk of, talks of this session carefully and implement according to the dictates of the Spirit such facets of the welfare effort, particularly the establishment of the Lord's storehouses. And third, that through faithful observance of the principles of tithing, the fast, and the welfare program, we will prepare ourselves to resume Zion and ultimately live the United Order is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, I have been reflecting on the councils of the First Presidency relative to welfare services, and I have been impressed that through them we all have received a call to action. President Kimball reminded us in April 1976 welfare session of General Conference of the words of the Lord, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? On February the 2nd of this year, at an historic meeting of the General Welfare Services Committee of the Church, President Marion G. Romney stated, All church members, from kindergarten to high priest groups, and all Relief Society sisters should be so plainly, accurately, and inspirationally taught that they will be motivated to implement applicable welfare principles and procedures in their personal lives and in their family and church responsibilities. There is no mistaking these councils. They are asking us, pleading with us, to do, to implement, to accomplish the welfare work of the church. We have been reevaluating the crucial role of Relief Society workers in this area. We recognize that the women of the church have a great responsibility to help, to teach, to implement, to work in harmony and in partnership with the priesthood in this important work. In one ward, a Relief Society president seemed to understand these responsibilities. In a regular weekly ward welfare services committee meeting, she reported that an elderly widow was having trouble coping with life after the recent loss of her husband. Her health was waning, her legs were causing her problems, and limiting her ability to move about and care for herself. She was understandably very lonely and also worried about her neglected garden. Considerable concern was expressed about her poor diet. The Ward Relief Society president explained that compassionate service assignments had been made to the visiting teachers and other sisters in the ward to help her plan and prepare three balanced meals each day and to organize and do such needed housework as the sister would permit. The home teachers agreed to ask her if she would like them to give her a special blessing. They also said they would keep up her garden and look for other ways to be helpful. 
After several weeks, as a result of the blessing and the loving help, she gained courage and a desire to be self-sustaining. This story illustrates how the Ward Welfare Services Committee can work together to meet the needs of ward members. Stake and District Relief Society presidencies everywhere should plan what to teach so that ward and branch presidencies will more fully understand and carry out their welfare duties efficiently and effectively. Specifically, they should teach how a ward relief society president assists the bishop in determining and matching needs and resources, makes visits to the family and follows up as assigned by the bishop, directs the use of Relief Society resources in providing compassionate services, instructs visiting teachers in ways they can assist, keeps strictly confidential all matters relating to each case, and encourages others to do likewise, becomes familiar with Bishop's storehouse items or items which must be purchased commercially, and counsels with the woman in the home as to what to buy and how to use her resources, becomes familiar with acceptable community resources and makes effective use of them, consults with her counselors <clears throat> on their welfare duties, correlates under the direction of the bishop all welfare activities assigned to the Relief Society. As Relief Society presidents perform these functions, they will be fulfilling a primary purpose of the Relief Society as laid down by the Prophet Joseph Smith when he said that an objective of the Relief Society is the relief of the poor, the destitute, the widow, and the orphan, and for the exercise of all benevolent purposes. As we serve, we should be fulfilling the priesthood expectations as stated by President Harold B. Lee in a welfare meeting in October of 1946, and I quote, I would like to think this, a wife in the home, a woman, is expected to be an intelligent and inspired participant in the family partnership. This is just where we think the place of the Relief Society is in the welfare program. We expect that they shall be invited in as intelligent participants in the planning of the welfare partnership. And without the invitation, and without that opportunity, we are not going to get the solidarity that we otherwise could expect." Unquote. President Tanner restated this partnership principle in June of 1976 when he said, the presidency of the Relief Society, having a specific responsibility placed upon them by the president of the church at the time they were organized, should be considered as a partner with the Melchizedek priesthood in somewhat the same manner as a wife would work with her husband in directing the affairs of the family. And Relief Society leaders should exemplify that partnership with the Melchizedek priesthood at the stake level by correlating plans for the proper training of ward officers, and at the ward level in both the training of the Ward Welfare Services personnel and in implementing the program. 
Something of this relationship might be seen if I relate a conversation with a friend of mine. He said, my wife and I decided that we wanted to face the front of our house with rocks. And so I called around and located a place where I could get them. I started to get into my truck and my wife called and said, let me go with you. I want to help. When we got to the place where the, where the rocks were, we found that they were on the top of a hill. And I complained, that's going to be a terrible job to get those rocks down. And my wife said, I'll go up to the top of the hill and I'll roll the rocks down. And then you'll just have to carry, carry them over to the truck. How does that sound? I thought it was a great idea, he said. I watched her climb to the top of the hill and disappear for a few minutes. And soon she called out, here comes the first rock, here comes another one. Then she said, oh, this rock is a beauty. I hope this one won't be too heavy for you to carry. And my friend said, I'll carry anything you roll down. And then she said, look at this rock. It has real character. Here comes my favorite. He said she actually had me waiting anxiously for each rock. <laughs> and then he said, in this endeavor, as in many other of our projects together, she had given me not only the help I needed, but a perspective that often eludes men. I would like to see all sisters, particularly Relief Society presidents, acting as help meets to the priesthood in the rendering of welfare assistance. I urge Relief Society leaders everywhere to accept the call to action of our inspired prophets and to perform and to accomplish our assigned welfare tasks. May we work together as companions with the priesthood, remembering the principle of partnership. May we teach effectively the fundamentals of welfare services and implement them by enlarging our vision of this work, particularly as it relates to the art of compassionate services. For as President Marion G. Romney once said, effective administration of relief to the poor is an art and is an art which every dedicated Relief Society worker will seek to perfect in herself. I pray that every Relief Society worker and leader will recognize our great opportunity, our obligation to render assistance to those in need, sympathetically, appropriately, and lovingly, even in the spirit of Jesus Christ when he said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.